But I want to talk to you today about the greatest day in history. And I think that's pretty good um, to be able to speak on such a fantastic subject, the greatest day in history. But first off, I just want to ask you a trick question. Sorry, a, tr a question? Oh, I gave it away. I want to ask you a trick question. Do we agree with all the teachings in the Bible? Do we want to follow those teachings closely? And do we want to be great Christians? I've got a problem. Because if we follow all the teachings that are in the Bible very, very closely, we won't be very good Christians. People will arrest us. People will put us in prison. Not for our faith, but for our actions. Because there's a lot of practices and there are a lot of things that take place in the Bible, and I'll come back to these later, which are not acceptable in this day and age and haven't been acceptable for hundreds of years. And so um, there's a challenge. If you want to be a good Christian, you've got to move on from some of the practices and some of the principles in the Bible, but not all of them. Don't worry. <laughs> um, but there we go. So I'm going to talk about Mark 15. Um, the chapter records, records the narrative of Jesus' suffering, including his trial before Pontius Pilate, and his crucifixion, his death, and his entombment. We see Jesus abandoned by all his followers, apart from the women. They are loyal to the end, sharing in the pain and the suffering to the end, as women often have when the men run away throughout life. We see the temple curtain torn, and this is more than a soft furnishings issue. This is the greatest day in history. Now, Jesus' trial before Pilate and the crucifixion, the death and the burial are also recorded in all of the other Gospels, in Matthew 27, in Luke 23, and in John 18 and 19. Just like to start by reading the passage in its entirety because it's so powerful and so much more interesting than what I have to say. So, um, Mark 15, verse 1. Very early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders, the teachers of the law, and the whole Sanhedrin made their plans. So they bound Jesus, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. Are you the king of the Jews? Asked Pilate. You have said so, said Jesus. The chief priests accused him of many things. So again, Pilate asked him, Aren't you going to answer? See how many things they are accusing you of? But Jesus still made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Now it was the custom at the festival to release a prisoner from whom the people to release a prisoner whom the people requested and a man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the uprising there were lots of uprisings in Jesus' time there was lots of violence lots of pain the crowd came up and asked Jesus to do for them what he usually did do you want me to release the king of the Jews asked Pilate knowing that it was out of self-interest that the chief priests had handed Jesus over to them but the chief priest stirred up the crowd to have Pilate release Barabbas instead. What shall I do then? 
with the one you call the King of the Jews? Pilate asked them. Crucify him, they said. Why, what crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder. Crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. He had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Then the soldiers led Jesus away into the palace, that's the praetorium, and they called together the whole company of the soldiers. They were worried, they were looking out for trouble. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews! And again and again they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him, Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put his own clothes back on him, and they led him out to crucify. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, were passing by on his way from the country, and they forced him to carry the cross. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull and they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him, dividing up his clothes. They cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The written notice of the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, Sir, you, who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross to save yourself. And at the same time, and in the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him amongst themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross, that we may see and believe. And those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now, leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. And with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph and of Salome. In Galilee these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem, were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was 
himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. And Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. There he rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. Powerful, powerful words. Now, this next verse that I'm going to just read out to you could have been said almost immediately afterwards, but it was actually fact said a few years later. And it was when the, Stephen uh, was um, giving a, a sermon and his final words. Stephen said, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the Lord as delivered by angels did not keep it. And at that point, he was dragged out and stoned and murdered himself for his words and for his saying. It's difficult being a prophet. It's difficult being a prophet. Notable points about being a prophet. They have poor people skills. They're not always right because if they gave a word and people responded, the word didn't come true. And so they were not always right. And the other difficult thing about being a prophet is that they were often killed by the people that they come to help. Now I want you to know that I really love you guys. I love you greatly. But today I have a prophet's message. Which is unusual in an accountant. I'm an accountant. We're normally interested in prophets. Not prophets. Although we are normally noted for our poor people skills. And Paul and Anthea, if you're listening, Anthea, um, I may overstate my case in order to win it. But I rely absolutely and trust you absolutely to bring a calm and thoughtful balance to any ravings that I may share. I want to explain today that we need to change if we are going to bring the gospel to this world. We are wrong. Not, not River Church so much, because I think River Church is running so much far ahead of the other churches. But the churches in the West are so wrong in so many of our attitudes and our behaviors. And the gospel message is being ignored by the wide expanse of the population because of us. Big print, by the way, it's not a really long talk. Now go back to the, um, to the passage. Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Top to bottom. Other books speak of an earthquake 
at that time. But if it was an earthquake that tore the curtain, it would perhaps more logically tear from the bottom to the top. But it tore from the top to the bottom. And that's because one of the most important things in history happened at that moment. In the ancient temple that was still standing in Jerusalem at that time, there was a curtain, a very wide, thick curtain. And it separated two sections of the temple. It separated the holy place from the most holy place. The holy place was accepted the most holy place was accepted at that time to be the dwelling place of God amongst his people and only the high priest was able to go in and be with God. The significance of the torn curtain was that Jesus as the new high priest and through his sacrifice had torn away that dividing line between us and, and God and enabled us to enter his presence at all times. A total transformation, the greatest day in history. But but what actually changed on that greatest day? What actually changed on that first Good Friday? Before this day, mankind strived to reach God through religious observance and through good works. And after this day, reconciliation with God was a free gift of grace and the way to God's presence was fully open for us all. But we still go back to the old ways because they're in many respects easier. I had tried that old path myself until a certain day in 1973, 50 years ago, when pushing my little blue moped up Castle Hill, talking to Alistair, uh, I made that choice, the choice to follow Jesus. a day when I first claimed to be a Christian. Sorry, I find these things a bit emotional when I communicate that. And to my shame, too often I slide back into a rules-based system because it's easier for proud people to try to do stuff in their own strength than it is to accept the free gift of grace from God. We somehow innately develop a sense of right and wrong that we impose on others. We impose laws and rules and standards on others that we made up ourselves, forgetting that our debt to such rules and standards was cancelled by Jesus' death, cancelled when the curtain was torn, the greatest day in history. But what changed that day? Did God change? I don't think so. The Bible says that Jesus and that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. But on that day, on that happy day, that glorious day, our understanding changed. Our perception of God changed. And our growth and our progress as a people began And over time, and over the last 2,000 years, there have been many issues that the church has had to rethink and to reset on its values. 
sometimes the church has regressed to a Bronze Age, Dawn of Time, pre-Christian rules-based morality. But mostly, we've moved on. There are lots of things that have changed. Things for which the Bible was relatively silent. We stopped doing these things. We stopped executing prisoners of war. We stopped stoning people for family law infringements. We stopped stoning prophets. We stopped stoning. Uh, sorry, I'm developing a fear of stones. Um, we stopped slavery. We stopped execution as a method of punishment for thought crimes, for faith and belief differences. We stopped the exclusion of divorcees from re, uh, f- from both remarriage and from church life. We stopped the exclusion of women as being not equal to men. And we stopped the exclusion of women from active church life. But these are great things that we've stopped doing. But they all pretty much remained unchallenged in the Bible. And Christians are very rarely leaders in this, I have to say. I have this idea in my mind that one day the Time Lord, Doctor Who, steps out of his TARDIS and has a little look around and he sees people in loons and bright clothes and halter neck tops and beads and he says oh this is 1969 I can recognise it but if he'd looked the other way and had seen people walking out of a church wearing dark clothes and big hats and perhaps our expressions he might have thought oh it's 1935 but he would have been wrong it's just that the church is 35, 40 years behind the rest of the world so often. But anyway. But we've generally, the church has generally been a generation behind the world in so many of these things. Holding on to past evils because they appear in the Bible in an unchallenged way. And this is a very, very bad failing of the church. I apologise in advance if this particular example uh, offends anybody who has got an association with the Southern Baptist Convention in the USA. But I use it as an example as to why the church is sometimes a little bit out of date. There are currently 13 million members of the Southern Baptist Convention, according to Wikipedia. Um, And it was set up in the USA in 1845. It was set up because they didn't like the anti-slavery sentiment of the other Baptists. They wanted to keep millions of people enslaved um, and thought God did too and could point to lots of verses in the Bible where um, slavery seemed to be an acceptable practice. None of us, nobody in the Southern Baptist Convention this day and age would, 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 would want to keep people in slavery. But that's how often the church is behind times. We must do better. We must evolve as a church. And in the West, the church is under threat 
for being out of touch on issues such as inclusion and kindness. And I want to thank Paul and Anthea for the progress that this congregation's made uh, in those kind of areas. Um, we are seen and judged and found guilty of clinging to ancient prejudice because they were unchallenged in the Bible. We must evolve or we'll be excluded by our society. And if you don't believe me, you people of my generation, ask your children. And they will tell you uh, that this is so. We must evolve in order to bring the news of the greatest day in history. And I come to the end of my talk. At the crucifixion, we started to understand what God was really like. Total love. Total inclusion. Total sap sacrifice. And our percep perception of him began to change and began to evolve. Oh, death is beaten. You have rescued me. When we as individuals made that choice to follow Jesus, our perception of Jesus changed and our understanding of him changed. Oh, happy day, you washed my sins away. Human history is a journey where every generation grows and evolves and our understanding of perception changes because, and this is a spoiler alert for next week's talk, we celebrate because Jesus is alive. He is alive. Uh, and so I want to thank you uh, for listening to my meanderings. Um, and I'm sorry, Andy, that I didn't have three neat points, uh, just kind of one point. But let's celebrate. Let us celebrate this greatest day in history, the day that Jesus died for us.